We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Strategy Director here at 11FS. In this episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of branding as we discuss fintech rebrands. We look at what even constitutes a rebrand, who's done it well, who's maybe done it not as well, and where do you even start when you decide if a rebrand is in order. Throughout this episode, we hope to give you something of a blueprint to help you on your own fintech rebranding journey. And to have this discussion with me, I'm joined by a packed panel of fantastic guests. First, a big hello to my LearnFest co-host, Will Jones, Executive Creative Director here at Learn us obviously had to invite you to this one will um what have you been up to recently i should probably say something related to branding but i'm not going to i've been up to all sorts kate but one of the most interesting things is probably working with canadian credit unions um to try and design how really good digital financial services can still retain quite a deep connection to the individual communities that they serve honestly it's fascinating perhaps a future podcast and you got to go to Canada as well, right? So that, that doesn't hurt. Always always nice when you get a little holiday in as well. It, never a holiday. It's always work. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining. Appreciate it. Um, we're also delighted to be joined by Cameron Warboys, Design Director at WISE. Thanks for coming on the show, Cameron. Um, for listeners out there who live in a cave but still somehow manage to access podcasts, could you mind? would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your role at WISE, please? Cool, yeah. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Cam, Design Director at WISE, where I lead our WISE account product. And really, we exist to kind of solve this problem of international banking for both consumers and businesses. And then we really do that through uh, our account product that gives customers one account to send, spend, and receive uh, all kinds of money. So yeah, my role kind of covers the core experience of the account, our global design systems team, which is why we're here today to talk about the rebrand. Um, and then our spend product, which is that lovely green debit card you may see out and about when you're traveling the world. So that's a little bit about us. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us and looking forward to picking your brains. We're also delighted to welcome Zama Undlovu, Head of Communications and Brand Marketing at Honor Freak, formerly MFS Africa. Welcome, Zama. For those of you who don't know, what could you tell our listeners about Honor Freak, please? So we are, also firstly, thank you for having us. Um, Onafric is uh, Africa's largest digital payments hub. We connect over 500 uh, million uh, mobile wallets, uh, 200 million bank wallets, as well as uh, over 30,000 um, agents to each other and to uh, a large array of partners that are basically enabling payments um, across Africa. Awesome. Can't wait to get perspective as we go through this one as well. And last but not least, we have Charles Gilbert, VP of Brand at Adyen. Charles, again, same question to you. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about you and, and your role at Adyen, please? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Charles, also go by Charlie, uh, and I head up the brand function uh, within global marketing here at Adyen. 
Um, and for those that are not familiar with Adyen, uh, we are a B2B financial technology platform. Uh, we operate globally. We help some of the world's largest businesses uh, with end-to-end -end payments, data, and financial products. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time and looking forward to hearing your take as we go through as well. So thanks, everyone. Let's dive in. We're going to kick off by seeing if it's possible for us to agree um, on what we even mean by a rebrand. You know, is it just about changing the colour, the tagline, or, or does it need to be more extensive than that? I mean, well, obviously, you chat to loads of different organisations as part of your role at 11FS. What, what do you think? It's a lot more than that. It's uh, And I genuinely think um, there's a lot of organisations out there that probably rebrand for quite bad reasons. Now, I know everyone here is rebranded for uh, a, a good reason, so we're all in safe company here, but... Things like a new boss is brought in. Typically, that's uh, they want to shake something up. They want to see something different, put their stamp on something. I think that's a bad reason for a rebrand, and that's often uh, like led by, um, I guess, more of a cosmetic change. I think brands often, I guess, rebrand in reaction to a competitor. Perhaps they acquire someone else, and neither company can agree on whose name should be used and therefore lose all heritage of the rest of it. But I think there are, when we're talking about rebrands, the ones that do it really, really well, um, it's actually driven by insight and backed by a business case of something that's a genuine need to change a business. So I think probably a more logical reason is, I think a lot of brands find themselves trying to do something that they simply don't have brand permission to do. And if that's a driving point of a rebrand, that's quite interesting because I think... Like a really good brand uh, and a really successful rebrand like allows you to speak to a customer in a more authentic way because our customers are out there. They're running around, living their lives. They're not thinking about um, any of the, the, the brands that we're talking about today, and it's our job to try and insert ourselves in there. So if we can authentically enter some of those conversations, align ourselves with sort of the zeitgeist, the culture in a more natural way that our services would do that, that's a great rebrand. and. I know that's not answered in terms of output from a rebrand, but I think that's almost like quite a bad place to start. If you're just going, we need a logo, we need to redo all of the taxi signage. We need to, I don't know what brands have, but it's uh, its an interesting one, rebrand. I'm, I'm looking forward to hear uh, other perspectives on this. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw this open to the, to the floor. I mean, um, Cam, start with you. Like, what's what's your definition of of a rebrand? What does it what does it encompass, or what does it not encompass? I suppose to take Will Slant in as well. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So, I think agree with Will's sentiment that like a lot of people who don't really have a good understanding of design think a rebrand is just those like things which they interact with, like a logo, colors, stuff like that. But actually, um, if you think about the core of what a brand is, it's just someone's perception of a company and their connection to the mission and why that company actually exists. So for me, uh, good rebrands don't really start with design. They start with a core strategic problem, which a company is trying to solve. And good examples of that are a company trying to, you know, shift direction, signal intent of where they're going, target a new customer base. Um, so for me, I think it, it really draws back down to like, what's the change you're trying to drive? And how can we use design as a tool to basically drive change? And, to, you know, a rebrand is just one tool in a designer's arsenal to achieve something of this scale. Okay. Zama, what's what's your perspective? 
Yeah, very similar to CAM. I think uh, a rebrand is about mission and strategic positioning. So you you absolutely, the, the creative is the last bit. And when you do it very well, when the creative comes out, the people in the company go, aha, this is exactly what we meant. But you need to spend a lot more time thinking about who you are, what is your brand personality, what is your your brand voice, um, what are you trying to achieve out there in the in the world and how are you different from everyone else and unique in ways that are resonant to your internal audience, particularly. Yes, you can test it out. You should test it out with your, your external audience, your, your customers. But fundamentally, I, I, I certainly believe that your staff, your board, your stakeholders need to see themselves in, 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 in your strategic brand. Um, and that's a good test of whether or not it's going to resonate out there in, in the world. So for me, that's, that's really what it is. It's, it's very strategic. The, the visual stuff is fun, but it, it takes the least amount of time when you do this right. Okay. And Charles, just to be, be fair, right? I'd love to get your, your take as well, just to kind of round things out. You guys had a slightly different rebrand in a sense, right? As in you kept the, the same name, but it's about kind of the brand beneath that. So what elements of that experience resonate with what we've heard from the rest of the group or are different? Yeah, I mean, it, it resonates very strongly. I think um completely agree with what the rest of the panel have shared so far. It's certainly been true for us. Um, I think, you know, it almost sounds cliche now to say start with the why, uh, and it should be a very good why. Uh, rebranding's typically a very expensive uh, and operational, it's a big operational lift. Um, and I think that's the first sort of myth, right, is that it's a pure marketing exercise or that it falls on the design team. Um, whereas that why we, we say a lot at Adyen, you know, start with the business, start with the outcome you're trying to drive. What is that strategic challenge or opportunity? Um, for us, yeah, it wasn't a full rebrand in the traditional sense, right? We didn't touch the logo. Um, primary color palette stays the same. I think for us, when we really double-clicked on that why, um, it was a bit of a, an inflection point for us as a, uh, as a business, right? Um, and the evolving the brand was really the, the pointy bit. Um, and the underlying strategy was more around, hey, in the coming years, how do we broaden our positioning? Uh, Adyen is most famous for our payments capabilities um, without going too much into the weeds of our, of our product. Um, the, the industry and the space is moving at a rapid, rapid pace uh, and our customers are asking more and more for us as a business. Um, naturally, that means that we're looking at, hey, what can we do beyond core, pay uh, core payments and how do we signify that to the market? Yes, but I also really like what Zama said around, hey, what about that internal audience? Uh, we're in an organization now of several thousand people worldwide how do we bring them along on this journey? Um, how do we create a single narrative that not only has the buy-in, but that is retellable? Um, because I think especially when we talk about channels and tactics and, you know, in a B2B landscape, it really starts from within rather than thinking about what is that campaign? What is that sort of billboard or TV ad that we're going to run? And I think we've all sort of agreed that, uh, it's about sort of mission and and the, like the values of the company's direction you're going in. But would anyone say that sometimes it's okay to do a rebrand just because you look a bit tired and dated, or is that just a really good sign that you've probably left it too long? I think it's fine. Um, it, the the scale of its impact is going to be less. Like for example, I thought I thought the Monzo rebrand was, was I wouldn't call it a rebrand. I call it more of like a tidy up. 
mm. it was it was a good little clean up um some stuff which was very much feeling a bit tired and outdated just got a bit modernized um but it was core cool to its you know a lot, a lot of customers might not notice it um but i guess it comes to, back to those goals it's, again i think they were just feeling a bit tired by it from from what i understand I I like the phrase tidy up. Is that spoken as someone that's tried to get buy-in for a rebrand without using the word rebrand or uh... uh we don't we don't typically like the word brand wise. Um it's it's a it's a word which has a lot of negative connotations associated with it because people perceive it as like intangible and and kind of pithy and like designers in a room like sticking post-it notes on something. Um and that's not really like how we see it we, we try to use the word company as much as possible because at the end of the day, when you're referring to your brand, you're just talking about wise and what customers uh, think of when they see wise and when they use wise. So we try and just like to pull, to, to minimize the use of that word. Um, and yeah, that's why we called our, our rebrand internally was called like a visual expression. So it was all about who we are and then uh, communicating once we figured out the why communicating visually, uh, how we represent those ideas. Zama, I suppose it's not the same. It's not saying it's tired necessarily, but I was interested. Some of the conversations around, like the the MFS or on a freak rebrand, talked about the role of you know, mergers and acquisitions. So it's not necessarily about a brand being tired, but about not, not reflecting where the company's at. So, would you mind like giving us some perspective into kind of what that process is like, and and kind of how having that period of mergers and acquisitions might shape the rebranding decision making? Yeah. So, so let me start a few years back. So we started our rebrand journey in 2021. And in 2021, if you knew MFS Africa in 2020, the logo was FinTech blue and green. It very much was trying to fit in into what FinTech logos looked like at the time. And we'd been around, we were one of the older FinTechs in, 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 on the continent. So, so we were looking tired. And initially, the idea was, let's let's do a visual, um, redo the visuals. It wasn't, it wasn't really about rebranding. Um, and as we got into the process, we realized that we couldn't do good visuals without good brand. Like, we had to articulate, go back to ground zero of what this brand is about. And so we did a lot of work then, and we did a rebrand, and we, um, we went from blue green to the yellow really striking logo which we all loved and a very strong brand that we still have so fast forward to when we started to when we did the u.s acquisition of gtp then the name which we loved with a brand that we loved suddenly wasn't working and the there were aspects of having the brand that just weren't gelling with the whole uh, family of 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 mfs africa the group and so we took a step to rename and we're very deliberate about calling it a renaming and not a rebranding because to us, we were very, our brand was still strong. It resonated across the entire organization. Everybody in the, in the acquired companies as well as the, the OG MFS Africa, everybody agreed on the, the on the brand strategy. So none of us wanted that to change. But what wasn't working was the name. And we used it as an opportunity to kind of restate who we are together, not just as a, as a, as a collection of, of different companies, but as one company in one group. So for us, it's, it's really about internally kind of marking that point at which we, we stop being 
a bunch of acquired companies and the acquirer and we start being a new company and that's how we 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 approach the process no that's that's really fascinating i'm i'm really i mean i'm not a i'm not a brand expert at all i'm mean, i'm here really i suppose just for just for like timekeeping almost but i'm really interested to hear almost a different the different nuances like in terms of how you guys are even expressing this process within your your organizations you know cam's talking about you know, we don't talk about brand we talk about company you know, you're talking about it's not rebranding it's renaming i mean charles is there anything from the alien perspective obviously you know, what are the how did you guys articulate this process internally and were there any nuances to that which you, you can throw into the mix for us yeah i mean i think I think with anything like this, there there is always a risk that sort of brand or uh, a creative exercise is seen, especially in our world, right? I mean, 50% of our internal audience are engineers and developers. So there is always that risk of like, you know, it's intangible, it's a little fluffy. Um, in terms of language, we very much spoke about it as an evolution um, for various reasons. I mean, the first one is that that's absolutely what it is. We didn't necessarily want to do a full rebrand. There was no strategic um, reason to drive that. I think one of the ways we contextualize it for the internal audience was absolutely positioning it as an evolution. Um, but when it came to things like the tagline, um, you know, we, we spoke about it more in the context of a creative platform. Um, why? Well, there was a good reason. We really wanted to tie it to a, a business need. Um, we're, we're a global entity. Uh, we're, we're one brand, we're one agent, but we have a lot of distributed local teams. Uh, and payments is inherently cultural. So there is always a need to take kind of global strategy, global guidance and adapt it for a local market. And as we scale, there's a risk of, you know, all kinds of weird and wonderful inconsistencies start to pop out. So the idea behind the tagline was yes, from a commercial perspective, we wanted to signify our intention, where we're going uh, and broadening our positioning a little bit, if you will. Um, internally, it was really critical that we took people on a journey um, explained the why behind the changes we were making, but also spent as much time actually uh, reaffirming and rearticulating what's not changing and why. Um, we have a very strong brand. We have a fantastically strong internal culture, uh, very much underpinned by, by the Agin formula, for example. None of these things changed uh, for our internal audience, but they did need to understand what is the journey we're going on as a business at a product level, at a commercial level, and how is this going to play out in the marketing materials and the things that you see out in the world? Um, but also, you know, I, and I don't know if this is the same for the rest of my panel, but our industry and, and fintechs by nature, they move very, very quickly. Um, so how do we make sure that we're aligning people around this consistent narrative that they can retell? Um, and really understand the the implications. And, and one of the things that we did, um, I think, very well, especially when we've had such a such growth uh, in the in recent years, is to do a little bit of a retrospective as well, right? What were what were some of the historical taglines? Why were they what they were, and why were they relevant for the business's maturity at that point in time? Um, so one example was one of our taglines in the very early days uh, was payments made easy. Um, and, you know, we, we were one of the first fintechs that was making it easy for enterprise digital businesses to process payments at a time when it historically wasn't. So very descriptive, very easy to understand, kind of does what it says on the tin. Um, fast forward to where we are now, 
and the recognition, the understanding of what we do as a business, um, I think we have the liberty to start interacting a little bit more of a creative concept. Um, and that's very exciting because it also gives our creative teams something to, it gives them a, a North Star and a starting point, um, but with sufficient freedom to interpret that for, for their local markets. It's, um, it's super fascinating to admit, Will, what's your take on these different approaches to this whole process? I mean, it's, it's starting a rebrand is really difficult. Not calling it a rebrand does help always in most organizations, <laughs> but um, genuinely, I, re I really like how the, the you know this panel is uh, responding to genuine triggers within businesses and trying to build out an approach to that because I think sometimes people stumble headfirst into branding exercises without stopping and thinking genuinely uh time scale and this is so boring what i'm going to now but like the time scale and budget of this thing that we're about to do is often sort of misunderstood and you'll see sometimes um i mean maybe we're talking about fintech branding but if we extend this to banking there's uh there's a very large global bank that now when you fly into heathrow has two completely different logos visible from the air at all times and that is probably an example to me of like the starting point of going we do want to change sort of how we look how we feel but not really going look 10 years down the road and millions and millions and millions of pounds later we haven't managed to effectively execute this i think it's a lot easier for for uh, fintechs they can be a bit more nimble but i genuinely think um even sort of the world of like fintech branding has moved on in the last probably two to three years more than uh more than anything before that because it used to be enough to have like a shorthand of going right look we've got uh sans serif fonts we've got nice bright colors we're going to be talking to you not like a bank and that was fine for a while until you sat on the tube in uh probably in in london in uh probably i don't know 2018 2019 and you'd scan along and you'd see every single ad with looking exactly the same and i think now and this is it's going to be really interesting especially to talk uh cam about the uh the wise rebrand as well because we're starting to see a lot of uh, fintechs going in more of a maximalist direction uh bringing in um things that have texture and meaning and are a bit more provocative uh in sort of visual imagery into that mix and then trying to filter that down into the actual experience that people have that needs to be super functional and interesting. And that for me is where um, a lot of rebrands get super tricky. It's going, we have quite a lot of digital estate here. It's almost like the stuff that peaks over the parapet, the, the, um, the above the line stuff, updating uh, campaigns, having like your, your visual stuff. That can be done, that can be scheduled, and that can be, be timed out. But when you've got a lot of product teams already building features in motion, you've got a design system to update, you then need people to actually experience what this new brand stands for and means through the interactions that they're having. That's where rebrands, I think, become quite interesting. And I'd love to hear from, from this group a little bit how... Once the big bang, we've signed off a route and an approach has happened, how you sort of take that into an organization uh, and start to roll that out into the, the weeds, the details. I'm happy to take, to take that to start. Um, See, so yeah, I think just a quick comment to your like sea of sameness world, like I completely agree. I think like most startups and a lot of even upscales like ourselves, 
somewhere along the line, like designers just got shit scared and they just stopped taking risks. And I think, and I think as a result, you know, a customer's experiencing your product for what, like 10 seconds a day, if you're lucky. Um, and it just blends into this big blur of average. And I think for us, we set out that at the start as like, you know, we are different as a company and we wanted to inherently feel different in our proposition and the, the representation of that. So I'm, I'm glad that came across and we were super happy that so many customers felt like it was unique in a lot of its execution. Um, but then in regards to actually how we delivered it, the the concepting process from like, I'll say like strategy and all that stuff took about six to eight weeks to figure out when we had an early concept and we we're like, cool, this is it. Like we think there's something in here. And then it took probably about 11 months to, to make that real and to figure out how we actually executed it across our scale and every single thing from the tapestries to typography to the way buttons work, to the interaction patterns inside of the app. And we essentially did that systematically through our design systems team. So we would just work through each of the elements, which kind of sat as that foundational layer underneath, you know, Wise's entire customer journey, and then just systematically move through it. And it was a long process, but it was essentially, I think, our obsession with the detail of actually where customers experience the brand that I think allowed it to be executed across an entire customer journey end to end consistently. And I think that was kind of the approach. So I guess I'd say the concepting and getting to that early idea was, was I wouldn't say easy, but I said it was pretty easy, but actually the hard part was making it real and then making sure it actually lived up to that original ambition. Um, Cause naturally as you go through time, you tend to dilute stuff. So we had to like find ways to hold ourselves accountable to the original ambition of it. Anyone else got any, any thoughts to throw in? Um, I think maybe just on the, the sort of more B2B perspective, um, as this wasn't, you know, so, I mean, obviously similar ish approach, I think to, to cams in terms of how do we pull this through, um, at every level. Um, I think for us, seeing as we didn't do a massive visual update, ours was spending quite a lot of time more on the, the sort of the messaging and the narrative, um, not just internally, but also of course, sitting down with, you know, PR agencies, sitting down with uh, the content team, sitting down with anyone who's really going to build the brand through messaging externally is making sure that they really understand the sentiment behind the tagline, the sentiment behind the narrative um, and why it's true for our business. Because I think one thing we all have in common here, uh, and, and maybe you agree or disagree, but I, I suspect is that you know, you typically face one of two challenges, right? Either you have very complex value proposition that you're trying to explain. Um, and there, I think also in lies the risk, not just visually, but also in terms of your copy and your messaging of like, are we just saying the same thing everyone else is? Um, are we using the same buzzwords that don't necessarily mean anything? Uh, what is the sort of emotive hook? What is the, the thing that we're tapping into? Um, or alternatively, you know, the value proposition is almost indistinguishable from the competitors. Um, maybe they're two sides of the same coin. I'm not sure, but if we can add a level of storytelling, and I think for us, engineered for ambition represented that, that starting point. And we really spent a lot of time there. So not just on the, you know, the, the hygiene pieces of what are the rules around the tagline? You know, how does it appear in end frames? What formats do we show it? Which ones do we don't? Um, but also really making sure that we spend time educating those that are going to speak on our behalf. Um, to be able to retell this narrative, because for us, there is a, a very real practical layer to this, which I think sometimes is often forgotten as well. Um, and, and while Cam was talking, I was also curious as to like, 
how much are some of these rebranding considerations just inherently practical? If I look at like a lot of B2C rebrands recently, they're all starting to look kind of similar. And I'm wondering how much is the fact that they need to have an app influencing the look and feel? Or how much are the real practical constraints of digital channels actually influencing some of the creative choices that we make? That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good segue. Um, we're going to jump into the, the practical, practical steps just after the break. Don't go anywhere. We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by Stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam. Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights. We've already discussed when a rebrand can be called a rebrand, but how does a fintech pull it off successfully? I mean, just to start us off on this, Cam, come to you first. Obviously, as a leader at Wise, you've overseen a, a massive rebrand in early 2023, which itself had the name change in 2021 from TransferWise. So yeah, what's your take on the key ingredients for success? Uh, let me try and think. So I guess, you know, drawing back to what we were all discussing earlier, uh, the reason Wise did this is because we're kind of in this transition as a company, right? We're moving from a single focus on sending money, aka transfers, right, into this feature-rich international banking alternative. And for us, uh, that change uh, has been a bit of a hockey stick, and we see more and more customers join us as an account. And there was this kind of inflection point where we're like... Uh, yeah, it's very obvious to us internally that we're so much more than transfers, but to the vast majority of the market, they still see like same old transfer wise, sending money, sending money. Um, so that was really the precursor to it, I guess. So it was quite an obvious uh, change. Um, as far as like the two steps of changing name and then going through the bigger upgrade, I think uh, part of it was just due with technical complexity and how much you could bite off at the same time. Um, changing names, redirecting URLs, like there's a staggering amount of work associated with it. Um, so we were just honest with ourselves, I guess. It, it was a discussion, but wasn't one which we felt was warranted. And then uh, the actual bigger kind of rebrand was just a continuation of that story, right? We knew where we were going as a company. So we spent more time kind of refining uh, the core problems that we needed our new design system to solve, work in more markets, resonate with more people globally, uh, and really allow us to stand out from the pack to both businesses and consumers. So that was kind of the the reason behind it. And then we just kind of, uh, you know, did the concept phase. And then once we had that concept, just rolled through piece by piece and uh, bit by bit, it kind of became a reality. I'm loving like the pragmatism about, yeah, like you know, not biting off more than you can chew. I suppose for you know, listeners out there who haven't experienced a rebrand, like I suppose what were the bits that were more to, were more time consuming than you know, someone outside of a process might have expected? Um, I, I think the general thing is I'd say like doing something of this scale at a company of our scale is not for the faint hearted. Like I'm not going to like lie about that. Like you really, it wouldn't have happened without a very uh, borderline obsessed team, um, including the partner, which we were working with ragged edge and then uh, our internal design team at wise because, you know, from start to finish, we had to, a simple example I, I can think of is like, 
with our new illustration system, we didn't actually have any 3D designers at the time. So what seems like a really simple decision in kind of like a conversation, like, oh, we really like this style. Actually, you've got to figure out how to operationalize that. We've got to hire somebody. We've got to figure out how to localize that to markets. And I think it's those types of things which end up, it seems like a small decision at the time, but then it balloons and it just becomes like a massive amount of work. Um, And I don't think you would do that unless you genuinely, genuinely believe that it was the right thing to do. And a lot of people, especially in the early days, kind of thought we were a bit crazy and they didn't really get it. But the more time we spent talking about it and sharing the work, uh, sentiment definitely shifted to like, oh my God, we're just so excited for this. Like it it really feels like this uh, company I'm proud to work for. And I think that was a nice unintended internal benefit, which I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, that's, I mean, it must have had such a good effect on employer brand. I feel I, I found it really interesting say, you saying that you start with the identity and then you work out if you need to hire some people to actually execute it. I've I've worked with companies or at places before where we've taken a look at some concepts and gone, well, actually, what are all the ways someone's actually going to mess this up when we uh, put it out into the world? And it's almost yeah. uh, that for a lot of people stops them being brave or companies going, well, look, it looks great on paper. It sounds great on paper, but once you start to execute this, it's going to become weakened and ruined and someone's going to not be able to do that thing. So I, f- I find it really interesting that you looked at that and went, well, 3D designers are required <laughs> quite clearly because um, then it stops you reusing the same assets and keeps it fresh and, and allows you to tell different stories in the same style. And I think that is really key to the success of these things. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to go with like a, a brave thing just got to obsess over the details right and i think that was you know get get really clear on the strategic reason behind this get to the concept that you think can deliver on that and then just like details 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 and uh that requires just a, a obsession basically is the only word which i can think of <laughs> zama i saw like a ton of head nodding as as cam was talking that through i'm guessing you know for cam this is like thinking back and for you this is like what you're probably like living and breathing right now right so so what are you what are you experiencing i says you know first and foremost like we're trying to work out what is it that makes a fintech rebrand a success so i guess maybe you it's maybe too early for you guys to absolutely know that for sure but what are the key success metrics or, or markers that you're looking for or hoping to see as this plays out in market well i'll, I'll start with the, the internal aspects of it so for us i think what we knew because we had rebranded before and kept the same name. Um, we knew how important the the planning aspects are um, in this. Uh, B2B is a little bit different because when you rebrand, particularly when you change your name in B2B, for us, there are tech changes that we need to to make along with our partners. And so it's 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 not just us who are feeling kind of the additional work. It's also our partners who are going to have to be part of the work of, of making those changes. And so telling that story of why we needed we needed to change our name has has been one of the priorities for us. And that's what we are also focusing on in this period. Um, we, we, we did the announcement uh, 13 days ago. So we're still communicating with our partners about the why um, and, and, and along with the changes that we need to make and the changes that they need to help us make. So if you have to be, you have to have strong partner communications 
Uh, you have to have strong internal coordination as well. Um, when we were just doing the rebrand without a name change, a lot of the work fell on the marketing team and the creative uh, team. Um, we use uh, um, an external partner for this. So a lot of money spent, but kind of isolated in terms of impact on who's going to do the most amount of work. The name change is different. It cuts across the entire organization. So we've had to run it more like as though it is, it's a tech build with having product and, and tech people and people across the organization in, in a program and be programmatic about it and have work stream meetings every week. Very different to how we, we did it when, when we're just rebranding with, with the same name. Um, and, and, and those, those things are really, really important that, that, that planning. Um, and, and you hope you do that well. You hope you communicate well with your partners. Um, and, and you hope the why to them is clear. Um, so that you can, you can get the benefits of, 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 of changing your name further down, down, down the line. Yeah. No, I think, um, that partner relationship seems, seems so key. And obviously, Charles, you touched on that before the break as well. You know, do you have any tips for Vazama as someone who's had to kind of manage that partner communication process? And you, what are the kind of some of the more practical details maybe that, yeah, someone who's not been through this process might, might not have thought of that you should, you should flag? Um, well, we didn't change our name. So I, th I think Zama is probably experiencing a whole another world of complexity, uh, when it comes to that. But I, I really like your metaphor of treating it like a tech build, because I think that's, that that's the extent to which it touches on every part of the org. Um, I think for ours, it's, there was a level of acceptance, I think. Um, and, and I'll just talk about the, the, the tagline, right? Is that it's not necessarily going to be as groundbreaking for every single person in the organization, right? And you, you just, you have to accept that, okay, our baby and our big project is not necessarily going to have an immediate impact on, you know, uh, somebody in a far-flung location who's, who's perhaps less involved in this world. Um, I think that's where an often overlooked partnership internally comes in, which was really working with our, our employer brand. I think we'll touch on it earlier, the, the, the power that branding can really have in terms of galvanizing uh, and, and done well, I guess, inspiring your, your internal audience as well. Um, for us, I think what we did was spend quite a lot of time with our internal comms team, um, mapping out how to get that message right, because the, the sort of memo that you share with your executive board, how you translate this and contextualize it for agency partners or marketing folk or, or indeed others, there, there's nuance to that story, right? There's different levels of how much am I going to care and what does this really mean for me? How can I use this? How do I make it practical? Um, and I think just talking about a tagline now, it, it became that framework. It became common vocabulary um, and spending time with the different teams, you know, how can this be a five minute intro to your QBR at the end of the year with a really important customer, right? How does this talk back to our brand purpose and our essence? Why is it relevant? Um, it's, it's so much more than just, this is the latest keynote template. Please be sure to use it and delete all the other ones off your hard drive. Which nobody ever does, right? So. No, that is, that remains a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we've, we've been focusing on, on you know, the success stories and you know, what you guys have, have been doing in your organizations to try and make these successful changes. I suppose if we flip into slightly more sort of pessimistic mood or we're trying to kind of think more critically, um, 
you know, can we be open or honest? Are there any kind of mistakes that you guys have, have seen in your processes um, or, you know, either you know, historically or as they're happening now that you think, you know, our listeners can learn from? Yeah, for me, the biggest thing, and I don't think this just applies to rebrand. I think it applies to all design projects, which I see across my thing. And it's basically, you can't please everybody. Like if you try and make something which, you know, addresses every single micro concern people have, you're you're basically going to make something as beige and boring as the rest of the lot out there. And it will become irrelevant in a matter of minutes. So I think the common mistake uh, I probably see people doing is, like, if you're going to go for something, like, go for it. Like, decide who you want to be, go big. And, like, you know, if you think about our profession, um, you know, product building more generally, designers, like architects, right, they don't have a control Z button. They can't turn off anything. Yet they build these wonderful feats of, like, engineering and design. Yet, like, in tech, we've got a control Z button and we're the most scared out of anyone in the design profession. So for me, it's just, like... Let's actually commit to doing really big and bold things. And if we're going to do something that's not go into people pleasing mode, let's figure out that core we believe in and then do something we because we believe it's the right thing to do. Like we didn't really do any testing when we were doing our rebrand. We decided what we wanted to do and we led it all with intuition and expertise. And I think that seems to be a trend which I'm seeing more so in the product world with people like, you know, Chesky firing all the product managers and clearing out that world. So I think that seems to be hopefully I'll just see a bit more confidence coming into work in tech. And that's what I really kind of passionately believe about. Yeah, I totally agree. And I find it, um, I find it interesting that you referenced all the other industries that are far more permanent once you've, uh, you've actually put creativity to paper. One of my favorite quotes is from, um, famous book designer, uh, Peter Mendelssohn. I think he's designed over about 4,000 books. Now, that's huge print runs. And he talks about finding a special kind of wrongness to be able to stand out on a shelf. It's obviously like a bookshop, original saturated market. And he stands back from designs he does and goes, I'm not satisfied unless this will bother unimaginative people. And I generally think those are the things that stick in the mind. I was giving a, a, a talk the other day related to this. And I asked people um, which Olympic logos they could remember. Now, I know people always return to the 2012 one as uh, a bad example of things, but I genuinely think it's done its job in that we're still talking about it to this day. Well, I am. I don't know if anyone else is, but uh, it's it's the ability to actually disrupt public consciousness in a way that makes you aware of a brand. Beyond that, it's everything around it. It's all of the other rapper that, tells you what that means uh and and converts you into someone that returns because ultimately you've made someone feel something and that's probably the hardest thing to do charles from from your experience is there anything that you would do differently or or you think maybe you guys didn't execute as well as you wish you had there were there are plenty of learnings uh i mean some of them you know that i alluded to now in terms of making sure that you bring the relevant teams that wasn't something that we necessarily had mapped i don't think in sufficient detail from the outset um, so certainly an oversight there, um, in terms of, yeah, how, how could we operationalize this? And I think it's, it's easy for the, the immediate project team, uh, and Cam alluded to this to get really sucked into the weeds. They have to be right. You, you're making decisions all the time. Um, but I think taking a step out and going, why should anybody in the next department care? Uh, how are we going to activate it? I think that's a, an area where 
we did a great job in the initial kind of launch, launched with a, a really nice manifesto video, kind of grounded the concept in a wider narrative, created a lot of excitement. Um, I think we could have been perhaps at least internally a little bit quicker with a follow-up. Uh, so that's one learning for sure. Um, otherwise, you know, it's all the typical challenges, right? Of do you have the right people in the room? Um, is your workshop format actually pushing you towards decision-making or are we just, you know, uh, running the risk of, of what Cam mentioned earlier, right? Which is for falling into that consensus trap. Um, and I think one question that still nags me to this day or one that I've now promised myself I will repeat in every single meeting like this going forward is going to be, what's our opinion? Because I think it's very easy to get sucked into like, you know, what do we stand for? Who are we? Why is that different? And why should everybody else care about what we're trying to say? Um, I just don't think that's how humans work. I think, you know, values need to get off the, the wall and actually get lived and be expressed. And to Cam's point around bravery, I think having an opinion means you're willing to be wrong. Um, but standing for something, and that could be, you know, just how you do things differently. And it could be something completely else, but that I think helps these types of messages stick and helps make it real for people. Zama, um, we're getting towards the end of the show now. So I suppose, yeah, just to give you your, your opportunity as well. I appreciate, you know, you're only on day 13, right? So asking you for like things to, <laughs> things that went wrong, maybe is maybe a bit close to the, close to the moment, but you know, you talked about this not being your first, your first radio, like you guys have done this before in different, different ways as well. So yeah, if you can leave our listeners with one sort of practical, don't do this, what what would yours be? Um, I think a practical do is get into the detail as much as possible um, very early on and almost dry run the entire thing. Um, we, we found that we, we, we definitely did a lot of detailed planning for the execution um, and the launch, um, but we still found that because we didn't quite do a dry run, that there were some gaps that should have been obvious that we didn't pick up, um, like translations, something as simple as that. You know, we translated for the, the, the big um, creative stuff and then we didn't translate for the everyday things that people will need. Um, those kind of like obvious silly gaps um, that can come up if you don't kind of try and, 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 and really replay with everybody across the organization. So, so you can make the mistake of really focusing on, on the marketing team and, and the design teams and, and you think everybody across the business is ready and they know what they need to do. And then you find out like 10 minutes to launch that X, Y, and Z are missing. So really get into the details. You haven't planned enough and no matter how much detail you think you, you you have you haven't planned enough and try and and dry run that um and i think the bigger lesson i've learned from the last rebrand to now is that um make sure that the organization understands that your brand is a living changing thing um and and that's how you actually avoid having to wait 25 years before you redo the logo constantly ensure that in the organization, people understand what is a brand or, or whatever you're calling it in the organization. Um, what, 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 what is it supposed to achieve? So that the whole organization is part of making sure that it's current, it's relevant, it's, it's saying what is meaningful. Um, and, and when it's not accurate anymore, when you're saying you are selling um, access, but actually you're selling simplicity that you, you, you know, you can identify that and, and you are ready to change when it's required, 
that's important. So it shouldn't, a brand is not something that's owned by marketing. It's really owned. It's an executive level um, asset of an organization, particularly when you're growing an organization pretty fast. Make sure people across the business have buy-in and uh, are keeping track of who we are and how we're articulating this to the world and where we're, we're on track and where we're not on track. Absolutely. Um, sadly, I mean, I feel like we could just talk about this all day. Um, it's been so, so interesting to all of your different experiences, but that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much to all of you for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you or the work you're doing, Cam? Just go to wise.design, all there, and download our app. Simple. Love it. Sama, what about you? Onafreak.com. Um, we're Onafreak on all socials. Awesome. Charles? Yeah, uh, com. come as no surprise. And if you'd like to connect with me directly, it's Charlie Gilbert on LinkedIn. Awesome. And last but not least, Will? Yeah, I'd love to chat to anyone listening to this on, on LinkedIn. And as always, you can find 11FS at 11FS.com. Brilliant. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Kate Moody on LinkedIn or Kate at LMFest.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye. We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by Stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam.